This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. Cryptocurrency and being cash-free aren't the same thing. You probably knew that, but some of us don't. But the net result is the same, whether you use cards or Bitcoin or whatever. You don't have cash in your wallet. In the best case scenario, that can be freeing to just swipe or tap from your phone and the transaction's complete. You have a record and receipt. Amazing. Easy. The worst case scenario, involving privacy and control and all kinds of other things, I'm going to say for another day. My point is that cashless is here to stay and eventually dominate, which leads us to this conversation. What has been the impact on crime in general and street crime in particular? Dr. Richard Wright is joining me today. He is Regents Pro- Professor of Criminal Justice and Criminology at Georgia State University. He's written widely on matters related to crime and justice. I thoroughly enjoyed his TED Talk. He's been on a number of national programs. He and I today had this very important conversation on how technology that enables a cash-free world is impacting crime. It's fascinating. It's sad. It's a little alarming but it's thoroughly enjoyable. I hope this conversation educates you and causes you to think. And now, here is Dr. Richard Wright. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Maybe we start off with, one, why did you write and, and um, start a conversation about those things out for the public. And two, in whatever order you want, maybe a little bit about your background that, that um, sort of gives you a perspective so that you can comment on this. Sure. Well, I'm a criminologist. So I specialize in the study of street crime. I'd spent probably the last two or three decades hanging out with active criminals. Uh, I'm talking about not in prisons and jails, but on the streets. Okay. And did you say you're in politics? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. What I what I noticed uh, throughout that work was that most crime is financially motivated. The vast majority of it is financially motivated, but it's more than that. It's motivated by a desire for cash, because criminals desire cash because it's the Fuel on which they're, on which crime really runs and burns. It's untraceable. It's easily tr- um, exchanged. People want it. It's sort of universal. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. I think. And so what I noticed is the criminals wanted were committing crime for cash. Mm-hmm. And because I'm concerned with crime prevention, I'm a criminologist. And so I, you know, I I realize you know we've spent a long time trying to prevent crime by changing social conditions, mm-hmm. and we haven't had much luck. Mm. Uh, people still don't raise their kids like they should sometimes. Mm-hmm. We still have poverty. We still have unemployment. We've tried to address these things. Right. Uh, and and the, the relationship between things like like unemployment and poverty are, and crime are not perfect. And mm-hmm. by, by that, I mean that most poor people don't commit crime. Right. Poverty doesn't cause crime in that sense. If right. it did, every poor person would commit crime, which they don't. Every unemployed person doesn't commit crime. So I think I kept thinking, there's, we've got to be able to do better than than this when it comes to preventing crime. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe the way to attack it is to look at is to starve it of fuel. 
Mm. And the fuel that crime burns on is cash. Right. And then I thought, well, that led me on a whole adventure in terms of looking at the cash and its place in, in crime, but also what's happening to cash itself. And I noticed the cash is declining in all sorts of ways. The use of cash was declining in all sorts of ways. Um, and so I got asking myself questions about what, does, where, where are the implications of this for crime and mm -hmm. criminality? Street crime has existed since the beginning of time where we have taken something of value that was easily exchanged for something else. Could be gold, could be um, whatever, somebody, cattle rustling, something. Like I took something that I can easily transfer, quickly transfer to somebody else and get value for it. Is there a, um, is there a time when, um, I guess maybe... When did cash, as we think about it today, really become normal, or at least as it relates to street crime? Was this a phenomenon of the last 300 years, 500 years? Is it from the time of Pharaoh? What I, I can't imagine um, we were running around, you know, stealing someone's sugar cane back in the day. Well, remember, probably could tie it to the breakdown of feudalism in, 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 in Europe. Okay. Um, because... Prior, during feudalism, people were tied to the land. They couldn't move about. Crime, as we as we know it today, depends on mobility. We didn't have there wasn't people didn't have much mobility. Then like I say they were tied to the land, um, and so it's only when that begins to break down that we begin to see we begin to see people moving around, making moving from rural areas to the city, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, this is when we get to see crime as we know it today. I mean, prior to that, we didn't really see crime as we as we know it today. There was nothing to steal. Right. Uh, there really wasn't much there to take. There was domestic violence, of course. People still fought with their spouses, and right. they fought amongst themselves, and right. there was assault and all that. But predatory crime, that is crime for gain, probably really gained a foothold uh, given the, uh, during the breakdown of feudalism, which was, I think, don't quote me on the years right. exactly here, but I think it was about 1350 to 1550 that... Okay. Uh, is that when we began minting coins and doing things like well, that? Well, like like where it was readily available to people um, between economies, I guess. I mean, I'm not an expert on the history of money, but yeah. but what I would say is that it's it's it's. I I know that initially, coins were produced by uh, individual business entities, mm -hmm. so stores would issue their own coins, mm. uh, and uh, so there were all of these small shops. Producing, producing their own currency, a form of currency. So that's that's really when it, I think we when, when it really started. It is, and so uh, as people were, you know, transferring coin and later bills, um, the opportunity to, hey, let's hijack the king's courier. You know, the Robin Hood stories or the whatever. Um, you know, we can we can hijack the. The chest that's being movie, moved in the Wild West, we had, you know, let's let's capture the stagecoach that's transporting stuff, and uh, woohoo! And that really didn't happen much before that, I guess. Well, people were. I, I, I go back to this again. People were tied to the land. They they weren't they weren't allowed to move around. Mm. I mean, feudal, the breakdown of feudalism changed the world in in, in all sorts of ways, and it changed crime. It really changed crime pretty pretty dramatically. I mean, just think about some of the weird things that happened during the breakdown of feudalism. People were, prior to the, that breakdown, people were fleeing to the city for protection. During right. times of, of invasion and things, they flee to the city for protection. 
feudalism breaks down, all of a sudden the poor can move to the cities, the cities become dangerous places, people want to flee from the cities for the right. first time. And so this is, this is when we first get crime like we know it today. Okay. Uh, I, I only like to tell that story because it seems to me to indicate that it needn't always be this way. I think we're seeing a major change in crime right now. We can come back and talk about that later on. Yeah. But I, you know, I think people think, well, crime's always been here. We've always had. Like, and that's not. Doesn't seem to be true. Not fully true. Right. And people, like I say, people always hit each other over the head. Right. But in terms of predatory crime, that requires a set of financial arrangements that, that allow it, and that that only happens, like I say, about thirteen. Starts about thirteen fifty. I think it's over about fifteen fifty. So when you wrote the paper, Cashless Society, especially it seems, um, and, and the TED Talk, I might say, um, one of the things that seems curious to me, and maybe we'll get to it in this conversation, is the dissatisfaction and the chaos around cryptocurrency at the time of this conversation. It seemed to be having a boom number of years, record year, and right now there's turmoil and angst and stuff going on. Maybe we we'll come back and talk about that. But are there societies that are more cashless than others? And, and I don't just mean by like sort of the behavior of the populace, but maybe by the government. And before you answer that, I, I remember, um, was it the end of the pandemic when there was, um, everybody was posting, you know, uh, exact change only please, or bring in, donate your coins. We're running out of coins. And I never really did understand what that was all about. Am I being manipulated? Is there really a coin shortage? Are people hoarding their coins? So, uh, as we start talking about this cashless society, are there places now where that's more adopted than here in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, you, the United States is, is, is on the road to becoming a cashless society, I, I su su suspect. Um, but certainly Sweden leads the way in terms of, in terms of cashlessness. Um, I, I told the story a lot. Even the homeless in Sweden take credit cards, <laughs> uh, which people don't how believe, that, but it's true. It's how do you get a to, card if you're homeless? Does the government issue you the card? They're issued. I don't know exactly how they're issued, but they're issued, and uh, the homeless carry them. It's a, it's a, and uh, not all homeless carry them, but uh -huh. they're they're uh, the whole, to support themselves. A number of homeless people sell a magazine called Situation, and uh, they use a card reader to pay for to pay for issues because no one, no one has any cash. Uh, Europe's kind of ahead of the United States on in terms of cashlessness for for a variety of reasons. Um, France prohibits its citizens from making using cash uh, for purchases over a thousand euros. Uh, if you're a visitor, you can you can go up to three thousand euros and, mm. and, and still use cash, but uh, it's only a thousand for for. And residents. the population says that's cool. I don't know. I mean, they, they, it's it's gone on for a long time, so. Uh, I don't know how the population feels about it. I haven't asked them. I, I, I don't know a lot of French people, but I know a number of them. I scuba diver instructor, several of my friends, and um, they're very cash people. You know, they they use. I mean, they use cards. Like we're not anti cards. They use cards all the time. Uh -huh. But it's not uncommon to go get a debit card to get cash to use cash. Like we we for one reason or the other, none of them, so far as I know, nefarious. But it is. Uh, that surprises me that um, that there would be like if I'm homeless, how do I get these magazines? 
um, is it like a paper route? Somebody comes by and drops me off my stack of magazines and then I use my card to pay for them. And then I, I turn around and I sell them. And like, this just seems like yeah. such a, a foreign concept. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it seems foreign to me too. Uh, I'm an American, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and certainly have that, have that, pers- have that perspective, but you know, people have moved to cashless for all kinds of reasons. I mean, in Somalia, you know, they went through a period of time when uh, cash was so devalued, it was impossible to carry enough of it around to buy anything. And there are great, great pictures of people building houses out of stacks of cash yeah. uh, because the cash was essentially worthless. So uh, in, the, in, in that context, you just, you, it was a lot more convenient to have a card. Right. Or, or they actually use mobile phones to make most of their transactions in Somalia. But, um, you know, cash can become devalued. And when, when, once it's, it's devalued, how, how do you carry enough of it around to buy anything? Mm-hmm. We all know this, these stories about massive inflation and what people going to a store and it's price have doubled in the time they were inside and all that. Right. So You lose control as a human being. I mean, before we talk about the crimin, you know, the advantage for a criminal for me as a human being, I like the convenience of using a card when I deliberately want to track a transaction or I want to, if I go buy an airplane ticket or I go buy a, a big purchase, I don't want to go buy a car with a briefcase full of cash and I want a receipt. I've got an electronic record. I have some imagined protection built in because a credit card company is going to help me if I say, hey, I was defrauded or something happened. They didn't deliver when I ordered it. Um, I don't have to deal with a traveler's check or a money order or these other things. So I love that. But my regular day to day, I do think I'm an outlier because I got cash in my pocket uh, right now. I'm reluctant to say how much because I don't want to become a victim of street crime. <laughs> It'd be like <laughs> the one, the one, uh, you know, the one person that that they maybe they could hustle and have success with, but it's uh, I love the flexibility and convenience that cash gives me. So in a cashless society, I mean, do you in France do they do they still have change in a register, or are you just or or Sweden or whatever? I guess you're just screwed. It's all card, and you get tracked. How does that how does that impact the rest of the citizenry? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. People. I'm, I'm I'm agnostic on on the declining cash. I I, I could go either way on it, you know. Right. I, I carry some cash myself, uh, right. and, and all that. I, I'm I'm often accused of being a, a um, an advocate of a cashless society. I'm not an advocate of a cashless society. I'm just an observer. I, right. it, to me, it's declining, and right. it, it's declining dramatically in many right. in many many ways. You know, there are blips. There are times during the pandemic. There were there are areas in which there was an uptick in the use of cash, because the inflation that followed the pandemic caused some people to switch back to cash because they found it much easier to track their spending, to keep track of their spending if they're using, if they're using cash. Right. They didn't like cards. They felt that they, they couldn't control their spending very well. Right. So they went back to cash. So they're, they're, they're blips. But in general, the trend is downward. So we're, we're, we're moving away from cash right. for, for, for all kinds of reasons. But lots of people don't like, don't like that movement. And they're, they're, the main concern is privacy. Sure. You can track. You can, it, it, it can be tracked. You know there are some real disadvantages in, in in terms of privacy. There's no there's 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 no doubt about that. Uh, on the other hand, there are some pretty big advantages. You talk about the protection you get. Mm-hmm. For example, if a poor person who's dependent on cash loses their money, they've lost it. Right. 
you and I lose something on a credit card, we call the company. Right. And there's that's that's our problem solved. Right. <laughs> you know? We get some or all of it back. Yeah. Right. So so it's 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 a it's a big it's a a, a big difference. And from a government standpoint, I know people aren't gonna will, will not like this one hundred percent, but you know, if you're trying to do things like fight income tax evasion, fraud, things like that. Much easier to do in a society without cash, mm-hmm. uh, because a cash, a cash, a cash-based society, it's pretty easy to hide money. Well, we'll come back and talk about that because the libertarian in me starts uh, oh, getting the hackles up. But we'll, I want to talk about that if we get time <laughs> later. But so, what's the impact then on street crime? We've actually done a study to to, to look at this. Uh, when what happened is that. Uh, the government uh, in the, in the mid 1990s, as a way of trying to make the welfare distribution system more efficient, uh, mandated the Congress mandated that all states move to electronic benefit transfer for welfare payments. And welfare payments were were, were are an interesting measure because welfare payments are dispersed in poor neighborhoods. Poor neighborhoods have high rates of street crime. Mm-hmm. So I happened to live. I was I was living in Missouri at that time, mm-hmm. and I began began to wonder what's going to happen to street crime as we move away from welfare checks that have to be cashed to electronic benefit transfer, where you use a card. It's uh, simply use a, a credit card like instrument, mm-hmm. debit card, really more likely, mm-hmm. uh, to make payments. Well, Missouri did us a favor. They rolled out that system on a county by county basis. They didn't. They didn't Make all make a whole change overnight. They did, mm-hmm. like I say, county by county. Gave us variation to look at, so we were able to track what happens to street crime before and after the introduction of the system. Mm-hmm. And through a very sophisticated study, really, and using very sophisticated statistical techniques, we looked at this, and it seems like the introduction of electronic benefit transfer—that is, moving away from cash-based welfare checks to a debit card, essentially a debit card system. Reduced street crime by about ten percent, mm-hmm. which is a big drop. It's a big huge. drop. That's really Especially huge. Especially if you're one of the ten percent. Yeah, of course. It's 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 really really quite big. And when you think about it, compare that to the drops that accompany things like anti-poverty programs, which I'm in favor of these programs. By the way, right. I want you to know I'm in favor right. of all of them, but right. uh, not for not for crime reduction. I'm in favor right. of them because I don't think people should be poor, and I don't think I think people need better edu- educational opportunities. Right. And I think people need jobs. Right. I'm in favor of all those things, and I right. support them, and I tend to vote that way. Right. Uh, but not for crime reduction. Right. I don't I don't believe they're going to have much effect. Right. And uh, yeah, removing cash seems to give us about a ten percent drop, which is pretty pretty good pretty good size. Just before we go on, why do you think the anti-poverty programs won't reduce the crime in the way that um, just removing the cash will? Is it just because it's human nature that we, some people, whether they're in poverty or not, are just going to take advantage of a street, do a street crime? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, okay. But what, what, I would, what I would say is, and, I, and by the way, I agree 100% about flourishing communities. I, I say I'm yeah. very supportive of all these programs. Yeah. 100% supportive of them. Right. I'm not trying to argue anything, right. anything negative about them at all. But I'm an old guy. My experiences tend to be anchored in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. uh, 1960s, 1970s. And during the 1960s, Living standards rose dramatically for people. 
dramatically. Mm -hmm. So you would expect crime would go down, right? But what happened to crime during that period? It shot through the roof. So I just I, I, I don't I just don't think it's a direct relationship between poverty alleviation and crime and reduction in crime. Okay. Now, whether over some very long long period of time we would see, we could see that, maybe so. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't see it in any short I didn't see it in any short term way, and it just caused me to try to look for other ways of reducing crime, because street crime doesn't impact you and me. Street crime impacts poor people. Right, it's 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 concentrated in poor neighborhoods, and it, it, it affects poor people far more than it affects you and me. I did most of my work in in St. Louis, a little bit in St. Louis, because it's a different state, and so mm-hmm. I I didn't I didn't do much of my work there. But I, the two are so closely associated; you, you, they're just the river between them. Right. So if you're if you're a criminologist working in St. Louis, you're likely going to be working in East St. Louis some too, mm-hmm. which I which I did. So I know it well. Right. I've never been robbed there, by the way. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just think that it's interesting, you know, when you're describing this idea of cash versus poverty and its impact on crime. I don't I don't know that it's a study. I just remember a conversation where somebody very similar. It wasn't so much about poverty, but it was about education and opportunity and stress levels and its impact on alcoholism in this particular conversation. And um, I was like, oh, was it because of all of these other social changes they've made? And they said, no. It was because they ran out of alcohol. It was very hard to yeah. get alcohol. And so because alcohol was so restricted, meaning there was so little of it, it had this impact on alcoholism across all of the groups that would normally have some variation. It wasn't an age thing. It wasn't a wealth thing. It, wasn't, it was just access to alcohol. You remove the alcohol from the equation you dramatically reduced alcoholism as because there just wasn't access to it, as opposed to same levels of alcohol, but the education and the opportunity and all these other things were much more elevated than a previous generation had little to no effect on the percentage of alcoholics in the community. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the thing. Situational change sometimes beats trying to change people's hearts and minds. I mean, you know, yeah. just change the situation. Again... I really want to stress that I think these are worthy goals. Sure. Like changing human yeah. behavior is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Making parents love their kids more is wonderful. Right. Improving education is wonderful. You're going to be in poverty. I'm in 100% in favor. I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll raise my taxes. I'll pay, <laughs> I'll, I'll pay toward it. Right. I, I got no problem with any of this. Right. I just don't think it's the way to, the way to it's make It's not going to impact this kind of, statistic. It will impact other things. And maybe down the maybe down yeah. the, the maybe down the road, maybe somewhere down the line, we'll see a change that's worthwhile. Maybe that change will be more deeply embedded, and maybe that'll be a really good thing. We've been trying for a long time without a great deal of success. Yeah. So we're saying that where we see cash li- is this universal? So is this an impact? Is there studies like in Sweden and France, where, as opposed to the United States, like in the United States, the impact on. Um, having dramatically less cash. I think at one point you said, like, we use it, what, 40% reduction in cash or something like that, maybe even greater. Uh, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, there was about uh, most, about 80% of transactions were cash-based. Okay. Now it's way less than half. Okay. So this huge situation. It's a huge drop. Are we just having less street criminals? Or is it shifting? Because nature abhors a vacuum. I'm, I'm curious, what's the, 
What's the impact on crime in this new world? For about the mid 1990s, you probably know there's been a was, was a gigantic drop in crime. Now, as we, at the after the pandemic, we're seeing an increase now, and I, I don't know the reasons for that. The pandemic changed things and made the dynamics very different. And I, I don't know what's going on in that right. in that respect. But there's been this long term decline in crime from about the mid 1990s until until the pandemic, uh, essentially, um, and. People have talked about this and called this the great crime drop. But in fact, it's not. I don't think it is a, a drop in crime. I mm. think it's a great shift in crime. Mm. Uh, crime has moved upwards. Uh, it, it moves online, it's digitally based. Uh, and there's been a huge increase in cybercrime. Mm. And that, that, that increase was occurring during, during this whole supposed crime drop, which was really a drop in street crime, which is what we no, saw and noticed. Problem is that we weren't me we were measuring cybercrime. We didn't. We didn't have a mechanism. We didn't. We weren't used to it. We didn't have a way to measure it. We didn't know what was going on. Right. But we we know that it really increased dramatically, and now we we see this all the time. I mean, my God, you know, it's right. incredible. Um, now the question is, who's behind all of this? Um, there's I. I keep saying that the, this, this shift in crime hasn't just changed crime, it's also changed the victims, it's also changed the offenders. Mm. Uh, prior to the rise of cybercrime, really, the people who were victims of crime were poor people. It was, crime was restricted pretty much to street crime, it was in poor, concentrated in poor neighborhoods, and that's the victims were. You know, I was never going to really experience street crime, mm -hmm. uh, given where I lived and all that. Now, of course, with the rise of cybercrime, I mean, my, my card, card identity is still, I mean, I have, I'm changing my credit card constantly, yeah. you know. <laughs> Just heard the other day, T-Mobile had a breach of 37 million users. Yeah, I was one of them. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> well, yeah, like I say, it's, it's, it really has changed the nature of victims. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, because of the digital divide, poor people have less access to, to technology. And vic that victimizes them in a certain kind of way, if you think about it. But it's not it makes them less likely to be crime victims in, 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 in many ways because yeah. they're not situationally they don't have the ca the capacity to get involved in these cyber crimes, right? Uh, or get wrapped up in them, be victimized. Um, and so all of a sudden, the the, the criminal population, I'm sorry, the victim po the victim population starts to look a lot more like you and me. Yeah. Uh, and um, that's kind of interesting. Now the question is. How is it changing offenders? Mm. Because I, and this I have a debate with my friends who are uh, my criminology friends, uh, and I have debates about this. I don't know the answer. I, I could be wrong, but I'll say I, I don't think the guys I know, the criminals I know and have hung around with for many, many years, I don't think they have the capacity to switch to, be, they're not going to become digital criminals overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be left behind. Mm. Um, so I think the, the, the offenders in this case are, are, is, is, a, is a different group. Now, some of my friends say, look, the technology's gotten so inexpensive and so easy to use, although I don't know, I, I don't know if it's easy to use, but yeah. uh, has become so widely available, so cheap and so easy to use that, yeah, they're just, they're just moving over. I think they're being left behind. I think, I think they're being... We're creating a kind of a new feudal state with people kind of locked into to place by a digital divide. They're, uh, they're unable to break through. They're tied to a place or simply by their lack of access to technology. Mm. 
They're, they're unable to break out of that. Um, I could be wrong, like I say. I, I, I'm well aware of that. But it seems to me that that's a, a distinct possibility. My wife asked me uh, a few days ago, what's happened to all these street criminals that have been driven out of street crime by the, by the rise of technology? And I, I, live in, I live in the city, and I looked out the window and I said, they're right out there. Uh, sitting waiting in a, waiting in a food line. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect I'm. I suspect not. A friend of mine lives in Seattle, um, and he said we have. Maybe it's happening in a lot of other places too. We're losing shop after shop after shop because they're not because the way street crime works now is they just come in the shop and they grab stuff off the shelf. They don't even run out anymore. They just grab stuff off the shelf and walk out the door. Yeah. They they not just high end. They go into a, a Target, a Walmart. Um, they they go you know before somebody might snatch and grab at a really and leap the turnstile and get out. And stores have for a while they just set a policy. Look like we don't we don't confront people because we don't want the liability of them getting hurt or us getting hurt or the cops. We'll report it. We write it off as lost. Said so now they're shutting down. And he said, one of the most beautiful cities in America that's always had a heart for uh, people in the margins. And, oh, yeah. you know, we have these wildly successful organizations here. And whole communities of people have moved here from other parts of the country. And like you, he would say, look, I deliberately live here and stay here and happily pay a tax and give up certain um, privileges that might exist in a different state because they think differently, which is how I, I love America for that. You know, if you want a, a dry county, have a dry county. You want a wet county, have a wet county. You vote, as Ben Franklin said. So many businesses have closed or they've you come to the door, you tell them what they want, they'll bring it to you. Then you pay them and then they hand it to you or whatever, some version of this. But the city's dying. The crime, the, the petty crime, the hassling of tourists. Tourists are starting, you know, Going to TripAdvisor or these other places, you see more and more people saying, we're not coming, we're not coming. The most beautiful, interesting, welcoming parts of the country are being inundated by, maybe it's the same group of people where, um, or other groups of people where this is a response, or maybe it's just a coincidence. But it is, uh, for sure, crime is dramatically changed in those parts of the country, at least in his city. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting to think how the the, the offender population may may be changing, um, and like I say, we 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 don't really know the answer to this. Um, I I just find it very hard to believe that they're um, that they've moved into digital criminality in any large groups of any, any large numbers. I'm sure there are individuals who have, of course. Sure. But I just have a hard time believing that. I mean, I, I know a lot of street criminals. Mm -hmm. And they've got gigantic drug problems. I mean, almost to a person. They have gigantic drug problems, right. drinking problems. Uh, they're, they're, they're caught up in a life that's going nowhere. And uh, So how do they do that without cash? I mean, how do you maintain it? Well, that's, that's the point. That's what's, how, how are they, they going to maintain that life without cash? And, um, well, how are they doing it now, I guess? They're coming up with cash somewhere. Yeah, they're they're coming out. They're 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 they're, eke, they're eking out a living through crime is what they're doing. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. They're they're, they're still making enough uh, to 
sort of support their habits. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're having a tougher time doing it. Mm. Um, Are they getting more violent? Are they getting more desperate? I don't, I don't see that uh, necessarily. That doesn't mean it's not true. I, mm-hmm. just don't, I just don't see it in my, in my world. My very few brushes with street crime, it didn't feel, it was terrifying, but it didn't feel like anybody wanted to take my life or really hurt, hurt me. It was, and I'm not trying to romanticize it because it was terrifying. And I'm a big dude. Yeah. Um, but it was sudden. I couldn't believe it was happening to me. Um, and I know for some people in the most petty things, this is not, you know, it's a much different story. Uh, but those seem to be the exceptions, at least in the past, that it was much more give them whatever it is that they're asking for, your wallet, your bag, your whatever, your backpack. And um, you're scared, but they, they got the stuff and then they're gone. And that's it. And there was no uh, profound physical consequence of it unless you startled, you know, something really went sideways. Mm-hmm. But that was, again, unusual. My experience is people get desperate um, in any circumstance for under, you know, we see it over and over and over. If I'm, if I feel like this is the, my one and only opportunity this week to get a score or to get a meal for my kid or to whatever, I might react much more strongly than I might have in the past and make it much more dangerous for myself and for other people. Street criminals act out of desperation. I mean, they, they are, they are almost by definition desperate. Um, Usually desperate to support a drug habit. That's that is, that is the reality of it. Um, but they enter these situations pretty desperate. Whether they're they're more desperate, I, you know, I just just I don't know. That's a quantitative measure. I just don't know the oh, answer yeah. to. But I think they are, I think street criminals in general enter crime enter crime almost entirely in a state of desperation. Hmm. That's what kind of drives their drives their criminality. Do you think for people that are not street criminals today, as we get more and more cashless, the things that they might not want tracked through a cashless system that that maybe we create more, I don't know if we'd call them street criminals, but maybe those people that wouldn't, that would normally be on the fringes, you know, maybe I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I pay somebody a little extra cash to take this oil or this gasoline and dump it in the landfill instead of paying the taxes and taking it and disposing of the same place. I mean, I'm trying to think of examples, but mm. but maybe people that would not normally be, they're not trying to support a drug habit necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's, uh, it's more, yeah, it is white collar. It's white collar and they're, they, they have drug habits too, just like people on the street do, but that just because of their circumstances, they're more affluent and they can quote unquote, afford it, but they don't want it tracked. So they do it with cash. But in the future, they can't do it with cash. And if you can't do it with cash, it can be tracked. So I wonder how how this is going to impact that world. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to, I don't know how it's going to impact the world. I certainly, certainly I hear from people all the time about this and big, big concerns about privacy. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know where I ever got the, got the reputation for being an advocate for cashlessness. Yeah. I'm just an observer. Uh, no, you're a reporter, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, it's, 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 it's happening. I'm, 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 I'm agnostic. I, right. I think there are some huge advantages and I think there are some huge disadvantages. Uh, Libertarians don't like the idea of, uh, of of a cashless society. I understand that. A hundred percent cashless society. That would be me. I'm pretty libertarian, at least when it comes to this. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you're in the minority at all. I think. I think. You know, you, 
you know, my impression, you never, you, you know, you, you see the world from your own perspective. I, yeah. And I hear from people who are not happy with the idea of a castle society. I hear yeah. from them a lot. Um, so I, my guess is there's a fair few people who feel that, who, who, who feel that way. I'm for some reason not particularly bothered by it one way or the other. Uh, yeah. Like I say, I'm, and I'm agnostic about, yeah. about the, the, the idea of castlesness. I just think it's on the way and, and, uh, it's going to be here. Yeah. And, uh, if I if I have any feelings about it, I think it's something we have to figure out ways to manage that. And mm-hmm. I don't. I, there I'm at a loss for how, how how do we manage it? How do we how do we how do we how do we protect privacy in a world that's entirely cashless? For example, things like that. Well, I think it's an illusion. I think the privacy we think we have really is illusion. It it, it um. It probably we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, be very philosophical. What I would love to know is. You started to say this, there's almost a new feudal state. So I don't want to see people that are on the margins already. You know, just imagine you're not like, you're not a criminal, but you live in the criminal world. You're a kid born into that world. You're single uh, parent mother or whatever. Like just, there are people that live in that world that are in the margins already uh, that don't have easy access to the tools or the things that they need um, that that they could acquire cash in the past and escape from, assuming they're able to avoid the a significant criminal con, you know uh, interaction. When you think about that, um, do you ever think about how how we can help that group of people not to become better criminals, but to but to escape that that potential feudal future? Well, the, of course, first of all, the first thing to say is the vast majority of poor people aren't criminals. Yeah, overwhelmingly. Aren't, yeah. Overwhelmingly. In fact, I would say are spectacularly moral and kind. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that as a political, like like no, for air cover, that's just my experience. Easily two-thirds of my relatives, one way or the other, are either from that group or in that group. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. So, so. The vast majority of, of, of people in poverty are, are, are not are not criminal, and the decline in the use of cash. I mean, like I say, I live in the city, mm-hmm. so I regularly encounter on the streets homeless people. I mean, it, it happens to me many times every day, and I, I'm, I'm frequently asked for money, which I frankly would be more than happy to give them, but I don't right. carry cash. Right. And you know, when they ask for money, often. Often, I think reluctantly, even. But sometimes they'll just look at me and say, "I know you don't have any cash," and it's true. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't have any cash. Um, so this is a, this is a, I think an example of what you're talking about. I mean, it's uh, one of the sources of support was ca- the small amount of cash you could gather on the street. And now you can't get that. Right. And I, this is not an uncommon thing. I mean, like I say. Person will say, look at you and say, I know you don't have any cash. Mm-hmm. And I've seen other people on the street saying, I don't have any cash. I, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to give you some money, but I don't have any cash. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there are solutions to that, but it, it, it's. I mean, I've often wondered whether you should put card readers on street corners mm-hmm. and uh, so people can make deposits and make contributions to the local homeless population. And uh, somehow come up with a way of fairly distributing that money amongst uh, amongst that group. 
But you can see all the problems with that. I mean, it's, yeah, for you, sure. you can see a million problems with that right right from the start. So I don't know the answer. Yeah, that's uh, one of these days. If It's a corporate podcast, but I would love to have a conversation with a couple people that um, are well experienced in the in the not just the homelessness discussion and and all the complexities of that, but also the economic uh, impact, not pre-pandemic, I mean, just last 10, 15 years, and maybe the next project of the next 10. So that would require a significant breadth of <clears throat> experience and maybe some economic background and research and study and whatever. So probably these folks come from the academic world and maybe even two people where you've got one that has a particular view and the other that respectfully, maybe there's some overlap, but doesn't entirely see it that way. Because I, I, I don't know what the phenomenon is, but having grown up mostly in the West, or if at least we didn't live there, we visited there all the time, LA, San Francisco, um, and a little bit in the Northwest. <clears throat> it's not the same towns, the wealthiest, some of the wealthiest, most productive, most agriculturally fertile, interesting places it certainly in America, if not the world. And then we were in Hawaii um, a couple of years ago, a couple times. And to see the tent cities and all of these other oh, yeah. things and whatever programs are or aren't working. And I, and I don't want to, we don't have time and I don't have the expertise or the, or the haven't read up on it. Why? But it's there. It's, it's a very real, uh, uh, intense situation. So I don't know how much cashless and crime impact that or what programs uh, are impacting it or what mindsets have changed. I don't know, but it's certainly worth having, I guess, to come back to our conversation, cashless street crime, maybe even cyber crime. Do, has, have you done any of the study on these new victims of cyber crime? Like, are there ways to better protect ourselves? So if we were talking about street crime, we would say, Hey, I remember a skit by Bill Cosby where he talked about, you know, walking around with $20 bills hanging out of my pocket. You know, you don't do that, you know, back in the day or wherever he grew up in Philadelphia, I guess. And so it was these obvious things. How do I not fall victim to a street criminal? Well, you don't do behavior that looks like this and move, you know, um, uh, make yourself uh, a target. Have you done any study yet on, like, how to not be as prime a target in cybercrime as you as we're more and more people are becoming targets of cyber criminal i have not but i have colleagues who have and so yeah. I, I i don't i don't have the answer but i will say I, there those studies have been done and are and are being done and they're being done locally here actually and there's some of the best work in the in the in the world is actually being done right down the street here yeah i may have to get some of those folks on to uh have that conversation so as you're I mean, you're still sitting professor as you're having conversations with these folks, these, I don't know if I can call them your friends, but these acquaintances of yours that you have uh, some sort of conversation or relationship with as they're going through this world, what's, what's their mindset? How are they thinking about cash and cash leaving their world, their street world? I can, I can just give you a quote from one of them. He said, if the world goes cashless, there won't be no way for the non-working man to make a living. <laughs> I might be related to that person. <laughs> um, 
Which is scary because then what happens? You know, even even the Bible says a man without vision will perish. Another way to say that is if you lose hope and you feel like you've got nothing to lose, some people will just roll over and die for sure. But a few people, some will find a way to generate hope, whatever that is. But a few people, usually what that means is they'll get very violent. They'll get very, very dangerous. And, And I'm not advocating that we just go and leave cash laying around so we can perpetuate um, try to try to protect ourselves from this, but it certainly seems we should pay attention to what's being, what's developing, right outside our door. Yeah, it's such a these are such tough questions. You know, it's like I say, it's it's how you how we change current the current situation. I you know I I I, I worry about this a lot. Um. I think I seized on cash, on the idea that cash was declining, really because it seemed to offer a simple, uh, a lot of bang for the buck in terms of crime reduction. And it seems to do that. Um, how much more it can deliver, I don't know. And I'm not even sure. It, it, it came at a cost because we didn't, People still made financial transactions. They just were they just transferred online, where people became vulnerable to cybercrime. And so mm-hmm. we, we got this. Like I say, we, we, we what looked like what looked like a crime reduction because we were not measuring the increase in cybercrime. It turns out to have not really been so much a crime reduction as a crime shift. And was it worth it? I I don't know. I mean, the the one thing I would say is cybercrime is incredibly annoying and uh, causes a lot of dis- a lot of damage etc but it's not so personally scary as having a gun stuck in your face well sure I mean how many how many people have had that happen where you've had gun bat knife whatever stuck in your face probably not that many people but they'll never forget it you almost get PTSD from it yeah. as opposed to how many people have been a victim of cybercrime. Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, like I say, I've asked that question publicly before in big talks. And you know, if you ask them how many people in the audience have been robbed, you know, two or three people put up their hands. If you ask them how many have been, been had their identity mm-hmm. stolen or their, their their car details compromised, all the hands go up. Right. Every, virtually every hand right. goes up. So. And if you change the time frame to this week, probably nobody there was going to raise their hand about robbed, and everybody else will still raise their hand. This week or within the last oh, three yeah. weeks, yeah, yeah. they or a family member yeah. have had some shenanigans. Yeah. So for me, it's just been this, uh, for me, the journey has been just kind of trying to disentangle this relationship between cashlessness and crime. And mm. you know, I, 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 there's still work to be done, but uh, the relationship's complicated. It started out, I thought it was simple. Mm-hmm. Get rid of cash, crime will decline. That'll be that. Right. But then there was this whole thing of digital crime and what's going to happen to those who are left behind and many other questions came up. So as you think about it going forward, what are some of the areas you're going to study or or studies are going to be done or what's next besides just saying, well, you know, these these folks over here in this group are just going to be, you know, uh, the non-working man's really going to, be struggling. Um, is there an area that you you think you want to you want to see studies advance more in? 
Well, I have to say I'm 71 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so I suspect my days as a college professor, well, and I am, I am actually retired, right. um, although I still, still work a fair amount. Um, but I don't know where we go next. I mean, I, at a personal level, my concern is to figure out what's going on. You know, we did the study in Missouri. Mm-hmm. I want to make... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in real science. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to replicate things, and I think you have to see if they uh, scale them up and see if it, at the level of the nation does this hold mm-hmm. before we jump right into saying you, you get these huge reductions. We appear to get them, but I, 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 I'm, I'm interested in scaling up and get, doing replications and all that, um, mm-hmm. which I think is, 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 is important before we move forward in any other way. Mm. Do you continue either to post in a blog or comments or um, semi-retired as you are, do you, do you uh, ever offer up public comments on what's going on in this area? Uh, I do occasionally. Um, I do occasionally. Uh, People wanted to follow you or find out more about what you're talking about or where you're doing it. Where would they find you? Uh, they probably wouldn't find me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got the TED Talk we'll make sure that we link to. That's from a few years ago. Um, and then you recently, I think it was recently published an article in Medium, uh, or, or you're quoted in that article anyway. Maybe, maybe, maybe quote, maybe quoted in that article. Yeah, I think you're quoted. I think our most recent article on, on crime was in the Journal of Law and Economics. Mm-hmm. Maybe they cited that. They, that may be the case. We'll make sure we include links for that. What have we uh, not talked about today that we should have? I don't know that you've helped me be more optimistic about the intersection of technology and helping human beings flourish. I mean, we've talked about the convenience of cashless, but it comes with these consequences. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, there's there's a lot more to there's a, there's a lot more to learn. Um, my main message is that. We, whether we like tech, whether we like cashlessness or not, it's on the way. Mm-hmm. I think for all kinds of reasons, it's 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 here it's here to stay. Um, and cashlessness was accelerating. You know, you know, first of all, let me let me step back for one second and say that the move away from cash or the or the relationship between cash and crime has been recognized for a long time. I mean, for example, when you see on a gas stations, petrol station, or gasoline stations. Uh, front door, only twenty dollars is is kept on this right. premises. You know, um, that's a recognition that there's a link, there's a link between cash and crime. Mm. Um, and so I think for crime prevention reasons, businesses are going to continue to move toward cashlessness. Um, and I, I don't think there's any going any stepping back from that. So I, I'm I'm afraid we're going to have to learn to live with a cashless society. Um, and I, I think it's going to be here sooner than than than, than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, my message is: I'd like to see people thinking about this a little bit more and trying to figure out how we how we adapt to that kind of a world and and what we do about things like people who have been left behind by that in in that movement because. Mm-hmm. Well, humanity demands that we do that, or just humaneness demands that we demands that we do that. But also for matters of self-preservation, we don't want to create a group of people who have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
it'll be it. You know, it seems like there's a couple things right now that are. It's like a tsunami, long time coming, and then it suddenly arrives. Like you really can't see it. You know, the seismologists know that an event's happened somewhere around the world, and it's traveling at breakneck speed. But if you look out over the horizon, you don't see anything until all of a sudden it's there, yeah. and then it's inescapable, and it kind of crashes down. And so you've got to have mechanisms and people to warn you, and then you got to take them seriously. Um, but between the legalization of uh, marijuana where there's so many interesting conversations for me. I don't, I cannot stand the smell of it. It's not my thing. I have no romantic relationship with it. Having said that, there's so many conversations about people that have been incarcerated, cartels that have been built, the consequences to our environment by illegal growing, all these, all these things. I don't know if the data is out yet on all the, how does it all wash out by legalizing? But the hope is that we don't have these massive incarceration institutions and all these other things it seems from this very casual observation that um it will do more good than harm to not be putting in jail and having to run this stuff i don't know yet but that's just sort of my my preliminary um uh observation and so we'll see how that plays out another seismic area is this with less and less, if not entirely cashless. I love, on the one hand, the convenience of being able to just uh, pull up and not have to fumble for cash or be a target to have my cash stolen. At the same time, for whatever reason, I don't know that I want the government to be actively tracking. And, be, and part of that is you see in other parts of the world these social scores, have you seen that? at all are you familiar with those so it's a true thing um i believe it's china but um wherever it is you get a social score and when you're in a cashless society if your social score for example you protest against the government so just imagine it's like a a big uh social platform where you're on that platform it's a public platform and your attendance record and your school record and your behavior in the community, your social standing is you're a 8.2. You're a good stand-up citizen. Oh, wait a minute. You bought something that's not approved by whoever controls this. This is not, um, this is, a, this is in being developed and in place now. And um, don't take my word for it. Go check it out. Social score. And what has happened in some parts of the world where you cannot easily buy or sell because cash is not easily accessed. If your social score starts to dip, your prices can change, your access to goods and services change. But even more than that, if you serve somebody whose social score is not great, it impacts your social score. Why would you, why would you serve them? There's your, this person is a rebel. This person is a protester. This person is a whatever. And so when I think of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, um, uh, you know, all of the all of these things that are core to uh, English common law and a free society to be able to contend and um, sort out how we do things imperfectly many times in the West, but um, that's what we do. The uh, the part of my brain, the part of my psyche that is skeptical, if not cynical 
sees that and says, here comes greater control, not just invasion of privacy, but control Mm -hmm. and manipulation. The optimist side of me says, well, why would I, you know, I just want to hop on Ticketmaster or I just want to buy my Delta. I do want Delta to track because I want my Sky Miles and I want Mm -hmm. my whatever. And I don't care if they know where I go or whatever. So I want to be able to opt in and opt out with my electronic purchases. Um, I love to be able to go into Amazon or Walmart and search my orders. Man, what is that thing? I ordered that thing and I got to get the replacement part for it, but I didn't remember the model number. Oh, there it is. And if they happen to see that, that somebody, the voodoo dolls that look like me, and it helps them build up their storefront a little bit better, I'm okay with that. I, I give them that level of privacy and access to my data. But I want to be able to opt out of stuff. And so anyway, that's this, I guess this is this complexity of our life today. Yeah, I think that's right. What I was going to say is you, when you're talking about marijuana legalization, uh-huh. remember it's, marijuana has been legalized at the state level in, in some cases, but not, not legal at the federal level. Right. And as a result, they're cash-based crimes. Right. All those, those farms are dealing entirely in cash. That's right. 100%. And that, I mean, somebody, again, I am not an expert in this. So if we get fact-checked in three hours or six weeks or six months down the road, and we're not a corporate podcast advocating for this... Uh, behavior in any way. All I'm saying is that um, when you see around, when something's illegal like that and you see this criminal activity, um, it usually dealt with cash. And so, Dr. Wright, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, uh, thanks for uh, bringing this to our attention. I think it's a great piece. It's a great conversation. It's a great uh, article. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please like. And if you love the conversation, please subscribe. We'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. Take care, everybody.